This is the Birth Uprising Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah, a chiropractor and birth educator, and I'm here with my co-host Emily, a preconception coach and doula. We want to help you to think more critically about what you've been told is necessary and normal during pregnancy and birth, and to discover all the options you weren't told in your seven-minute OB appointments. All right, everybody, welcome back. We took a little recording hiatus, which you won't ever recognize because you have no idea how to actually <laughs> record because we both have small children and sometimes it just doesn't line up. So we we had to take a break, though, for a week or two because there were solar panels going in in your house. And oh, yeah. I, I was putting in a patio. Still having sleep issues. It's just... It's that season. So it's it's been a it's been a bit, but we are back and we are gonna talk about today people who shame women who want a birth at home. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a friend who um has recently like kind of come back into my life. We never were like not friends. We just lost touch here and there. Um, but I've known her since I was four years old and she is newly pregnant and she um I'm the only person she's told so far, which is just really special. Um, isn't that awesome when people you're the first person to know? I mean, I'm sure it happens yeah. to you all the time. It happens to me all the time. Uh, uh, people, people I don't even really know. Yes. Yeah, like people, yeah. people on Instagram will say, like, I didn't even tell my husband. And I'm like, what a, like, what an honor it is. But I feel like you should tell him. But, but <laughs> also, hilarious. thank you. Yeah, it is really special. And, um, She's kind of like woken up to the medical system recently, um, thanks to 2020. And she was like, I am really inspired. Like, I I've just been following you and it seems so amazing. And you like had such a good experience. Like, I'm really curious about midwifery and like out of the hospital. She's like, I'm very scared because I don't know anything except for what I followed from you. But like, it seems so wonderful. We have like one other mutual friend who had a home birth and yeah, I think that might be it for her. But all the people in her life are highly, 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 highly medical and highly, highly critical. I don't, I don't think that I don't think I'm talking about her family. I think just mostly her friends. Super critical of anything that doesn't fall in line with Western med to a T. <clears throat> and um, gotta love it. And she said, yeah, you know, we were at a uh, get together recently with a bunch of our friends and one of the women there had just had a baby and was induced at 37 weeks for preeclampsia. And I'm like, she goes, I bet you have some thoughts about that. I'm like, oh, I sure do. Well, I said, if you are an affluent white woman who is not a vegan, your chances of true preeclampsia are really slim. And obviously you need to pay attention to blood pressure. I'm not I'm not minimizing that, but it's it's easily it's easily managed with diet and lifestyle. Uh, but no one no one tells women that in the Western medicine world. Not at all. They're like, oh, let's just induce you. Anyway, she had a fine delivery. I think it was, you know, it wasn't problematic, whatever. But she was just like, oh, my God, you got to get an epidural. Like, you just have to, have to, have to. And she, mind you, the woman who is saying this about the epidural doesn't know that our mutual friend is pregnant. She didn't tell her because she literally had just taken a pregnancy test. And um, and then another woman was like, anyone who doesn't get an epidural is an idiot. And my friend was just like, I was just standing there like I literally just found yeah. out I was pregnant three days ago and I'm thinking about having a home birth and 
they're just running their mouths like like it's the only thing that it's the only perspective that has any value behind it like or that is legitimate and it just I hear that all the time and I'm sure you hear this too like don't oh don't be a hero oh I have I've posted you've posted so much I I I reshare the same the same key posts sometimes multiple times a year Mm -hmm. because I know that different people see different things and different people come in and out of accounts and uh, one of the major ones is that when you tell women that there's no trophy for having yes. whatever kind of birth it is that they want, but generally that refers to an unmedicated birth. Mm-hmm. And it, I, my whole post is it couldn't be further from the truth. No, you don't receive like a physical trophy, though I have actually heard of people who like their partner has actually given them a trophy. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't want made. that. I know, right. Where's my trophy? I want multiple trophies. Um, I'd have like a whole case. But the, the trophy isn't, it's not a physical thing. I can attest as someone who has had a birth that completely went the opposite of how I wanted, that had every intervention under the sun yep. that I didn't want, that made me turn into basically a shell of myself. Yeah, And then another birth and then a subsequent birth after that that brought me back to who I was and then more mm-hmm. that it's not it's not a physical thing but there is a prize and the prize is you doing what you knew you could do you persevering through something that was so incredibly hard that you really felt like at the end you just couldn't do it anymore and then you did and doing that for both your health and safety and your baby's health and safety and knowing that the struggle was worth it in the end. And if you're somebody who said you wanted an unmedicated birth and you went to the hospital, say, and eventually agreed to an epidural, I know a lot of women who they they were coerced into it or told, oh, honey, you can rest. Um, and that is true. And I have had an epidural and it did help me to rest sure. because I was stuck in a bed and right. no one was helping me. So at that time, it did it did feel like something that was helping me. But if you're somebody who agreed to that, a lot of women regret that. They later on realize, yes. I was really close, actually, to having my baby. And did I even need that? I agreed to something I didn't want because I was coerced into it. And now I have all this regret and shame and guilt over a choice I made. Whereas if you had stuck through it and had people supporting you instead of kind of breaking you down Mm -hmm. you know you make it to the other side and like your self-worth is the trophy you doing the best for you and your baby is the trophy you showing people that you were right and that you could do it all along people who said oh you can't do that you're crazy anyone who doesn't get an epidural is crazy was i was i crazy was i crazy to want to avoid all the possible side effects or have massive headaches or a spinal fluid leak or a numbness down one side of my body for the rest of my life. Things that happen to women who get epidurals that aren't warned that they warned that these things can happen and they end up with issues, you know, indefinitely. So I, there is a lot of, there's a lot of shaming out there and I think it comes from a couple places. One is, and this is like a theme across my whole account, One is women who either chose differently than that Mm -hmm. and 
are not jealous, but sort of like regretful of their choice. They were kind of pushed into something or tricked into something or coerced into something they didn't want. And they feel guilt about what their choice was. And when they see someone who did actually achieve that, and I know this because I was this person. Yes. With my with my first birth, afterwards, I would hear about anybody who had a birth that was unmedicated, that was at home, that was any of the things that I wanted. And it would bring me back to the to what my birth was and how horrible I felt about how it went. It was PTSD. Totally. And, and that's what happens to these people. They feel every time I talk to somebody who craps on something I say about home birth, it's 100% of the time they had a bad experience. Yes. And that bad experience was not inevitable. It was something that was done to them when I dig into it gently, if they let me. But every time I talk to someone, the horrible things that were done to them, and then they're trying to defend these people who yes. did this stuff. Yes, to them. yes. So it's either that, it's either someone who was traumatized and they, they see these people like you and I who've had these births that have really lifted us up, have changed us, have brought us into this work, and they wish that they had that. Or it's somebody who literally just knows nothing. Yes. They've probably been trained in a Western medicine di discipline. Very often it's nurses, which there are lots of great nurses out there. There are nurses that I talk to on my account all the time. There are, it doesn't matter what your profession is. In my mind, you need to be somebody who is inquisitive and is listening to other people and asking why things are the way they are. Not just like, this is what we do. Mm -hmm. We're just going to keep doing it. So there's, there are some nurses who act that way and, you know, maybe like some ultrasound techs and other people that are in that kind of Western medicine sphere that work with pregnant women. They often think they know it all because of what they read in their books and what they, and learned, because in what they learned in school and then the, what they see in practice. Because when you're, when you're in practice and you only do things one way, it's the only way you know. And you don't think outside the box and you don't read anything different and you don't interact with other people and you don't know anything about home birth, say, you think that anybody who talks outside of that is wrong. I mean, you don't have to, but lot, lots of people do. So I find that it's usually people who are traumatized who make, you know, these remarks or people who are, in, are educated in Western medicine in some way think that. You know, you're irresponsible. You don't know what you're doing. The people, and they don't know anything about midwifery care either. They don't know about what midwives learn, the kind of care they can right. provide, um, what they bring with them, what their backup plan is for X, Y, and Z. They think that they're just like, you know, some lady who lives in the woods who brings a bunch of herbs with her and just hopes for the best. And that's not usually, <laughs> it's not usually what you get. I mean, there could, there could be some women like that, but. Yeah, I find that it's those two things. What, it, what do yeah. you think? Yeah. No, I mean, when I hear comments like that, like, oh, don't be a hero, or anyone who doesn't take an epidural is an idiot, it's like, exactly like you said, you're either traumatized or you don't know anything. And this is exactly what I try to get across in my birth education class. I'm teaching another one in January, and it's live. And I'm like, listen, if you're comfortable, with the risks of an epidural and you still want it, amazing, great, go for it. Because now I would never get one if I didn't have to, 
sure, there's benefits to it. Like you can rest and sleep. But no one knows there's fentanyl and epidural. I remember I, I did a post about fentanyl and epidural. And someone I went to high school with, who's now an anesthesiologist, was like, you know, was upset about it and was like, you can, you can get it without fentanyl. I said, yes, you can. Does anyone know that? No. Well, and not, e- not even does anyone know that because most women don't even know that that can be included. But I think you had said the other day, you can ask for it. Mm-hmm. And that's true. You can, but you have to ask for it in advance. In advance. You have to know that you want an epidural without fentanyl. So for those of you who don't know, an epidural means epi, which means outside. Dura is the basically the thick sheath that goes around your spinal cord. So what an epidural is, it's this long needle that they stick inside your back, like inside your spine, but outside of your spinal cord. And they put it in at a certain level that it numbs you from like sort of the waist down, not too high because then you can't breathe. Right. But sort of the sort of the waist down. But in that they put narcotics, so usually fentanyl, and then they also, they mix usually that and an anesthetic. They want to put the narcotic because if they put just an anesthetic, you're basically completely numb. And so they, they usually mix them. You can ask for one without the narcotics, but they don't usually have them readily available. So you have to ask weeks in advance so that they can have it stocked for you. And so if you don't know this or you find out like, you ask when you go in, what's in it? And they tell you this and you say, I don't want one with that. Can you get me a, you know, one without it? They likely don't have it available. Mm-hmm. So you choose the one with it or nothing. See, I thought fentanyl was in the IV bag because I've seen some people say that it's, I, I looked up on my IV bag and I saw fentanyl. You mean the bag just says fentanyl? Yeah. I doubt it probably was something with fentanyl. In okay. It. I don't work in a hospital, right. but fentanyl is a really serious narcotic. And the, the likelihood that they would give you that straight in a bag as a drip. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. How you described it is really good to know. And it's just, it's so crazy. So crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most women don't know. And you know, some women, what if you have an issue with addiction, say, mm-hmm. and you think that you know, you, you're clean, you're sober, you know going in. Like, I actually have a friend I had a client. who this sort of happened to. Same. Um, it, I don't think it was birth-related, actually, but she had a surgery. And she was like, I, I think she actually had to have a hysterectomy. Oh. She's young. But had to. I don't know the details. Right. But anyway, she, she had a serious surgery, and they wanted to offer her narcotics, and she was a heroin addict. And she's clean. And she was like, I can't. Right. So you give me ibuprofen or, you know, whatever it is. But when it comes to an epidural and some of the things that they give you during birth, they just, they tell you to avoid these things when you're pregnant. And then they just shove it in this bag that they stick in your spine and they don't even give you the option. So what if you're somebody who's really sensitive to that? Yeah. And whether you knew or not, it affected you. Like You have a right to choose what, what's going in your body. And you need to be able to know what's in that bag. Yeah. You know, I think birth trauma people, that's that's a whole situation. But the people who don't know anything and in particular, this this woman and this group of people who I know really well, it's just like the mere fact that there might be something problematic about the interventions in the hospital world 
is <laughs> blasphemy. Blasphemy. And there's so many people who think that way. And sometimes when I talk about this, I feel like I'm repeating myself a million times, but I know so many new people don't know this. Like there are risks to everything. How many times do we have to say this? <laughs> I feel like probably every episode and every interaction with humans. Yeah. Ever. I know that's hard for people to wrap their brains around that. There's a risk if you go to the hospital. There's a risk if you stay home. There's a risk if you get in your car. There's a risk if you walk somewhere. There are risks to everything and you deserve to have the info so you can make the choice of what risks you actually want to take on. It's very frustrating because if you try to describe how low risk home birth actually is, they get all mad because it's like you're, you mm -hmm. must be lying. You like liar. you're making this up. I have a friend who's like an absolute shit poster on Instagram. She is so funny. And she says, whenever anyone asks me for sources, all I say is I made it up just to piss them off more. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to use that. Um, I love that. But there are so many benefits to staying at home. We're going to obviously, this is going to be a theme throughout this podcast, but I wish it wasn't such a hurdle within the... or you know, in that crossover between Western and non-traditional medical practice, like why? Sometimes I'm like, why can't you just look at me and be like, oh, maybe home birth isn't that bad because I had two and everyone's fine. But people are still like, oh, well, shoot, you know, and I'm like, how you just got lucky, though. You just got lucky. Yeah. And it's like, I think birth education is so important. And I want to really stress for anyone who's listening to this. Birth education should not be done in the hospital setting. No. That's a blanket statement that I'm going to stand by. Period. I did take a I did take a class and I think I talked about it at a uh, previous episode at a hospital and actually was not as bad because it okay. was taught by someone who had taught in uh Europe for years. So oh, she cool. was she was privy to a lot of information that we we now find is like you know, breaking news over here. Right, like right. Tens machines and and nitrous oxide. Yeah, like twenty um, years later. Right, but she. So it wasn't as bad. But I will say, you know, it's it's the same stuff. If you're being taught about birth by the people who are trying to control your birth, you're you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like, you're doing it. You wrong. need it. You need an outside source mm -hmm. or multiple outside sources so you can get a balanced view. Yeah. Of what to expect and know what you want and not just be told this is how it is yeah and that's generally what you get and I know it's hard sometimes to get like one of the reasons I took that class is because my health insurance covered it at the time right there are certain ones that you can get reimbursed x amount and so I took that one and it was at the hospital I was going to be at and it was five minutes from my house and um I'm sure I learned something but you know it it didn't it didn't give me a lot of the information that I wish I had had for sure. Totally. And I don't want to shame anyone for choosing an epidural, obviously. And I don't want to shame anyone for choosing an epidural knowing that there's fentanyl in it. Women have had fentanyl in their epidurals for forever. And it's like, it turns out okay for most people, even good and fine for a lot of people. Like, it's just that there was no informed consent. And for some right. women who find out that their body was being pumped with fentanyl during their birth and they're like, wait, what? Right. Like fentanyl, the number one killer in America right now. You just like casually put that into my body and didn't tell me. This is going to be an overall theme. I think there's a couple of overall themes to this podcast that we'll keep coming back to. 
And one of them is informed consent is the base level or should be of everything you do. And and that's why I created my account is if you're not informed of all your choices, you don't have choices and you deserve to know if you decide to get an epidural, like you said, and you know the risks, the Mm -hmm. benefits, the alternatives, you've sat down and had the time to go over all that stuff. And then you get to the hospital and somewhere in there you say, Mm -hmm. I know what I'm getting myself into. And right now this feels like the best choice for me. I consent to this. That's completely different than, honey, you sure you don't want to rest? Honey, you Mm -hmm. sure you don't want to just take a little nap? Honey, we have it ready for you. The anesthesiologist ran outside. One of the biggest themes you'll see across all the things we talk about is that you deserve all of the choices, not what you get Mm -hmm. in a seven-minute OB appointment, not what you get at the hospital while you're already there or in your hospital birthing class, you know, that was probably covered by your insurance. You deserve all the choices. You deserve to know what it's like to have a home birth and why that might be beneficial and if it's good for you and how you would go about doing that. You deserve to know what it's like at a birth center and at a hospital and who are the different people that can support you and who are the different people that can be your care providers. And you deserve to know all the things. And then knowing all the things, make the choices that are right for you. And that's going to be different for everybody. Everyone's not going to choose to be at home. But obviously, the two of us think it's a really it's a really good option for a lot of women who I think just don't even realize. Like, I've actually had a couple of friends who've chosen home birth. With my same midwives, one who's pregnant right now, because mm-hmm. I did, because I told them about, you know, what my choices were. And they were like, that sounds yes. good. I'm going to learn more about that. You know, and if in the end they decided, you know what, this isn't for me, they knew what it was about. They had looked into it and they chose something different. And that's totally fine. You deserve to yeah. choose whatever the F you want. But you deserve to have the information to make that choice, you know, from a place of being informed and not a place of being coerced or scared into something. Oh, your baby might die. You should just come to the hospital. Something that I always say to women who who like I can tell their ears are perked when they when I talk about my birth or this happened more often when I was at the gym and I was with people every day. I say, are you open to exploring? out of hospital care. I had a woman who's a friend of mine. She had the cascade of interventions for her first. I can't exactly remember the birth story, but it ended in a C-section. And so I asked her, uh, she like didn't ask me anything on her Instagram. She's got like a million followers. And I was like, are you going to go for a VBAC? And she, her response was, I'm just not sure. I don't want this to happen again. She was so exhausted. It was like days and days and then ended in a C-section. And she was like, the recovery of labor and C-section was just horrible. I never want to do that again. And so scheduling a C-section sounds really good, you know, for whenever she gets, has her second. And so I messaged her privately and I said, hey, let's talk. Like, let's talk about this, you know, because I hear that, you know, you're unsure and I would love to support you. So I worked with her a little bit in her first pregnancy. And I, all I said was, she's like, oh, my God, thank you so much. Yes, let's talk in a couple weeks. So okay, I said, okay, here's what I want you to think about in the next three weeks. Are you open to exploring out-of-hospital care? I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying say yes or say no by the time we talk. Are you open to exploring it? Because I don't think women know that the statistics are actually incredible when it comes to midwifery, especially VBAC. I mean, especially all of it, but VBACs 
have like an 86% success rate, which is crazy. And there's not, I, I can't remember if it's like 13%, something insanely low in the hospital. Right. You'll hear the statistic that I think it's like 80 something percent of women who I think want to have a VBAC in a hospital do. I see. So it makes it sound like, oh, right. that, like that's a lot. But in reality, the number of women who have a, C, a primary C-section and then subsequently decide on a VBAC or end up with a VBAC in a hospital is like 13%. So the women who say, I want to try for this, mm -hmm. this is my plan, this is what I want to do, they, they first have to find a hospital and a provider who yes. will even attend them. And then there are all these other hurdles to to jump over. But if, if they stick it out, they're likely to still awesome. get it as well to, to achieve their goal. But if you've just had a C-section, the likelihood that you'll have another C-section is like, I think it's like 90% or more than that. They're just scared. There's a lot of the shame and a lot of the fear mongering. And this, again, goes back to that original comment. Like, you're an idiot. Why would you do that? What if your uterus ruptures? Or they just don't even know. Yeah, they just don't even know either that it's that it's an option because their provider didn't tell them or they don't know anybody who's ever done that. It just might seem like they hear once a C-section, always a C-section, and they think that that's true, and they just don't take it another step to say, well, what if it's not? Yes. That way. So I think the people who are going to listen to this podcast are mostly going to be in line with our thinking, but I think there'll be some people who are just interested in learning. Mm -hmm. And um, I really hope there's a lot of people who are just interested in learning. Like this is a place, a place where they're going to come to learn because it's obviously so important to both you and I how unsupportive the Western medical system is of women's choice. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think a few minutes ago when we were talking about, you know, midwifery care and we're going to get into at some point what happened to midwifery care in our country and kind of mm -hmm. across the world in the last hundred or so years where basically everything was usurped by the Western medical mafia. And I was thinking about how that timeline really correlates with the timeline of Western medicine trying to squash chiropractic care too. So it's oh, not yeah, totally. It's, it's basically the exact same timeline. So we learn in chiropractic school because it's really important to know where we came from and what we're up against. And we're still anybody who's alternative to that. You're a quack, duh. Yeah, right. Oh yeah. I've I had friends even when I was in in school, friends from high school who knew nothing about chiropractic care. Call me a quack, and I was like, you. You literally know no things. This is like not even in your wheelhouse. Like, aren't you an engineer? You have nothing to do with this. But they did a really good job of slandering us, the American mm -hmm. Medical Association. And we actually took them to the Supreme Court and won because they were trying to squash us because we were their competition. Yep. Like, guys, we can work together. We yes. don't. Like, you're still going to make a ton of money. You're still going to be on the top. We are this tiny little percentage of people. Who, what, want to help people before they end up with drugs or surgery? I mean, that, you know, Sorry. we sound horrible. But <laughs> basically, they, they tried to squash us. And that's exactly what happened to midwives mm -hmm. when white men decided that they needed to be, there needed to be obstetricians. 
And they took it over and midwives were seen as dirty and less than and not smart. And look, we have these nice new hospitals and you can come here Mm -hmm. and you can have your baby. And that became less than that became, you know, what kind of what chiropractic was. Actually, my my grandfather said he used to go see a chiropractor when he was young and he used to have to go see him in his basement. And there was no sign on his door because it was at a time when you could actually get arrested for practicing medicine it's not medicine, without a license. And so he wanted to still practice it, this guy, and wanted to help people. And so he was just doing it without a license. We should also talk about licenses. Dope. At some point. Yeah, and to, like, tie it all together, exactly what you were saying, and this is might sound harsh, but women who say comments like that need to potentially look at the idea that they might be dealing with internalized and generational systemic misogyny from the men who created the medical system. Women who say things like that to other women, that is misogyny that has been passed down through this white coat savior complex. And it's like, well, hang on. Why am I an idiot? Right. Well, if there's one other thing we can teach you throughout this, another theme will be we want you to stop and think Yes, about not just birth specifically, but about all the things. When someone tells you something and you're like, is it that way? Mm-hmm. Or is this the only way? Or is this the best way? I grew up, we won't get into my whole family history, but basically I didn't raise myself, but kind of, sort of. Mm-hmm. And so kind of being on my own my whole life, when someone let me down, that taught me something. That taught me I can only really rely on myself, which is a sad thing to think, but kind of true sometimes. And so I've become really self-reliant, but also really skeptical of people and systems that claim things to me. And so before accepting anything, you ever watch the show Star Trek? No. Did we talk about this? No. So my husband got me into the new Star Trek. The Vulcans, for any of you who've watched Star Trek in the past, they base everything they do on logic. And I apparently am a Vulcan. (laughs) They have like these pointy ears and like this weird hair, but and these weird eyebrows. I think mine are kind of normal, but they base all the choices that they make on logic and don't really include emotions so much in their choices because that's just not who they are. That's how I've always been. If that doesn't sound logical to me, why would I do that? Explain it to me. Explain why this is a better choice for me. Yeah. And also to be inquisitive, you know, don't just take everything for face value, there could be a better choice for you out there. Always think that there are other choices because there are always other choices. I had a mom, a client of mine, reach out to me today saying, oh my gosh, this woman has scared me into thinking I need the vitamin K shot. She's due in like a week. She's like, she said her baby almost died because she had a brain bleed. And, you know, that's why I should get um, vitamin K. I said, oh, okay. She's like, should I do the oral? I really don't want to do the shot. I said, listen, why did her baby have a brain bleed? She goes, oh, I don't know. I said, okay, do, have you ever known any adult whose brain just started to bleed out of nowhere? No, no. No. The answer is no. I said something seriously traumatic had to happen, either genetically or physically. She was like, oh. I'm like, yeah. Listen, if you want to give the baby the vitamin K shot, that is your choice. But you don't need to make fear-based decisions. 
Mm-hmm. That woman had a traumatic situation. I We don't know why this happened to her baby, but she is scared for you. Sure, maybe rightfully so, but like that's just her fear. You don't need to take that on. Like ask questions. I said, why don't you just ask her what happened if her baby survived, you know, and everything's good. Be like, oh, hey, that really freaked me out. Like, why did your baby have a brain bleed? She might be like, oh, the nurse dropped it on its head. It's like, oh, okay, well. Or or they nabbed it out of me with a set of tongs. Yeah. Because that You need more information. And that goes for everything. Right. The sphere-based model of care is for profit. You can submit to it or you can intentionally choose to enter it or you can intentionally choose to exit it. Mm-hmm. And it, we want to get people into those last two places. Yeah. Get out if you can. Yeah. Well, and at least not submitting. Right. At least go in knowing what's what and making your own choices. But also that said, we'll get into at some stage why even doing that, even knowing all the things, why going into the hospital is still basically against everything that makes you a mammal and all the Mm -hmm. things that you're going to have to literally fight for during a time where fighting is not what you should be doing. You should be supported and left alone and allowed to do your thing and not be... You shouldn't have to have a plan and a bodyguard and all these things just to be able to have your baby. And a lot of people think they'll be okay with if they have those things and they go into the hospital and it's just, it's not that way. But if you choose that, knowing all the things, knowing what you could be up against, that's entirely different than just showing up. Absolutely. That's a perfect end to this rant. Yes. I agree. <laughs> we had to do a slightly shorter episode today because baby, baby life. Yes. But I think this is helpful and informative. Yeah. So the moral of the story is don't just take the first thing at face value. And if somebody says something like that to you about about home birth or any of your choices, you're able to confront that better when you know your stuff. Yeah. You know, and this person who is very newly pregnant that was in the middle of that, who obviously wasn't going to like divulge any information and maybe didn't know anything yet, mm-hmm. wouldn't feel comfortable countering that whereas if it were you or i in that conversation it would be totally different i'd be like oh really more tell me more please tell me yeah so hopefully (laughs) through these episodes you will gain some more knowledge some more confidence and if you end up in a position like that you can feel strong in what you're about to you know put back into that conversation because people especially if you make a different choice like being at home or birth center or just being you know, having your birth unmedicated, people will try to say things to you. Uh, And you need to feel ready if you want to even engage that to be confident and cool and collected and sound like you know what you're talking about. So you feel like, you know, you, you don't have to deal with what they say. You know what's best for you. And it really, it it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother you. And I will say final, final thought for me. If you are a woman who's in that place where you don't feel comfortable having those conversations with particular people about your choices, you don't have to tell them. I said to my friend, I was like, listen, you don't have to tell this group of people what your birth plan is. She's like, yeah, I know. I kind of thought about that. I was like, or or tell them very late in your pregnancy. You know, just have them believe you're doing it the normal way. And then maybe when you're like 38 weeks, be like, oh, guess what? Or or wait till the baby's born. Surprise. I said, whenever you choose to tell them, 
I cannot wait to hear how it goes. And I will be riding that high for a long time. <laughs> I'm just going to live vicariously through you. Oh, it's I'm excited. So I can't wait to hear as well. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Yes, we will. We'll see you guys again soon or next week. You can hear us again. Listening soon. next week. Yeah. <laughs> Bye, everybody. This is the Birth Uprising Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah, a chiropractor and birth educator, and I'm here with my co-host Emily, a preconception coach and doula. We want to help you to think more critically about what you've been told is necessary and normal during pregnancy and birth, and to discover all the options you weren't told in your seven-minute OB appointments. 